You guys are good to go. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Five on the mic and tens, and yeah, I will be. You said about ten seconds. Five, four. Cut it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No worries, brother. I appreciate it. I'm topping a rush today, man. I don't know. <laughs> he he seemed hella frantic. Uh, I'm assuming we're recording right now. Yeah, we're live. Uh, yeah, we're good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Welcome back. Um, it's the Reshow episode 61. 61. Okay. That's a I'm surprised we got canceled yet. I really am surprised. Especially after last week. I mean, people want to hear it. We get good feedback. You know, it's a little bit wild, but today we're a little organized. We yeah. got somebody important today, so we got to... We do. And there's no alcohol today, so that's cool, too. Yeah. That's uh, so we ain't got to worry about that. Um not worry about Reese. <laughs> Anyways, man, introduce It's not me, guests. man. Introduce our guest, man. <laughs> we have here uh, somebody very important. Um, again, somebody uh, very influential in our community. Um, community member um, leads... Wait, what, was, what was that? Outreach. Outreach. Yeah. Well, okay, you got to do it. Oh, leading outreach at Rainer Scholars. There we go. Thank you. I didn't want to mess that up. I'm going to be disrespectful. Uh, Mr. David Sarju, thank you for joining us this evening, sir. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. My yeah, pleasure. Absolutely. We were together yesterday. Doing we were, workshop. yeah. Regular. I was, I've been talking about that for like the past 24 hours, <laughs> actually. Nice. Been taking that. Looking um, forward to it. Yeah, man. Um, some great questions. I do want to get caught up on the week, though. How was your week, sir? Um, it was uh, good. It was good. I had a good week. Um, got a contract for my birthday, so we're going to announce the venue. Oh, and, nice. Um, have an event for our birthday. Um, my daughter had a dance recital at her school, so I went Which up one? there and checked that out. Oldest one, Kamaya. Got so you. She has, her school, Lindale, had a little dance recital, so we did that. Um, pretty good week, man. Weekend was good. Just chill with the girls all weekend. I ain't do much. Okay. Yeah. You're kind of low energy today, man. What was happening? I was kind of concerned because you're low energy today. I'm, I'm chilling, man. I'm just really tired, man. Yeah. No, I'm not tired, man. I'm good. I'm good. Got you. Uh, I'm good, man. I, um, the week was cool. Yesterday was a real interesting day. Um, I had a friend come in town, her and her girlfriend. When I went out to New York, it's who I stayed with. Okay. And um, I went, <laughs> we, we linked up at Sugar Hill. Okay. And then we ended up going to our place. I had never been to our place before. Okay. You ever been to our that? place? How, no. How was that? You ever been to our place? I have not. Okay. Our place, you know what it is, right? It's For a gay those bar. who don't know, yeah, yeah it's, the, it's, the, it's a gay bar. It's yeah. probably one of the biggest ones in Seattle. Um, when they, they were like, yo, let's go to our place. And I was like, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. I'll go. I was like, I don't want to be, you know, discriminatory. Were you vulgan? No, I was not. <laughs> <laughs> I went <laughs> I went in, man, and um, immediately, you know Sebastian? Yeah. The dancer cutting up? Of course. He's the first person that greeted me coming in. He's like, Reese, what's up? What you doing here? I was like, oh, man, I'm here with friends. He was like, all right, man, well, you know, uh, good to see you. Yeah. Welcome in. Let's have, have a, a good drink. time. <laughs> yeah. I know it was super shocked to see me. I've seen uh, a couple homies in there, yeah. and they all look dumb shocked to see me. Yeah. So I go to the bar, you know, we have a couple of drinks, and uh, they were like, let's go upstairs. I, th- I was like, oh, I thought this was it. Yeah. They're like, no, nah, there's upstairs. And uh, the bartender stopped me. He's a black dude. He said, yo, I can tell you straight. <laughs> he said, uh, <laughs> he said, the higher you go, the gayer it gets. <laughs> he said, I just want to warn you. I said, all right, man, uh, cool. So we go to the second floor, people dancing, you know, that's where the Vogan was <laughs> taking place. That's all, I knew somebody was in there hitting the pole. And then uh, we went to the third floor, and on the third floor, they had the stripper poles. Mm. And all this, I said, hey, man, the first time I see anybody's junk, bro, I'm out of here. <laughs> and my, <laughs> my homegirl, my homegirl and her girlfriend, they were like, the first time we see somebody's junk, we're out of here. So I was like, all right, cool. We all agree. We're all, yeah, yeah, we're all, yeah, we're all decided. Yeah, yeah. Man, I spent like five minutes up there. I was like, okay, you guys, you know what? I'm going to step outside. I'm not saying we got to go. Yeah. But you I'm going to separate myself for a second. I'm going to just step out. It's a yeah. little much for me right now. 
you know, so I mean, but it was cool though, man. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, it's good um, environment. You comfortable with who you are? You can have fun anywhere. Yeah, that was the thing. You yeah. know what I mean? Just being able to have a couple of drinks, yeah. kick back, have some fun, all that type of stuff. And like I said, just be able to. Um, I really think we need to kind of bridge the gap between, you know, um, I don't want to say the two communities. Cause I think it's just one big community, but yeah. definitely our, our brothers and sisters who are uh, LBGTQ. You know, man, um, because I don't feel like they feel. Um, just connected with, you know what I mean? I think they feel like there's like a, you know, there's, I I, I, was, I said something on Facebook earlier this week and somebody was like, you know, like the one community is more violent towards the other. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, like that's actually a thing. You know what I mean? Like we're in yeah. the, like straight black men, you know, pose a threat, um, you know, physically, mentally, uh, you know, in their communities, you know what I mean? Because like, we're the ones harming them. So something needs to change. Like I, I really want to advocate for that change and just advocate for. I'm, I'm with all that. It is just not comparing it to the black struggle. Yeah, I don't like yeah. that's why I don't like. They compare it to black struggle and our we already been oppressed and things we've been going through for centuries. Right. So right, right, know, right, right, just right. stop comparing it. You know, everybody should deserve to live a good, healthy, fulfilling life, but also give respect to each struggle because the struggle is real. Right. For sure. And I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, one thousand percent. Um, and then also yesterday was the first games of the XFL. Did you get a chance to watch any of the no, games? No, I, I, I seen a lot of people talking about it. Everybody, you know, was talking about um, it was actually a good game and it was like exciting. Yeah. I didn't expect that. So. David, you say you didn't get a chance to watch? I missed that. Yeah, so the Seattle Dragons are the team. Um, Jim Zorn is the coach, which is kind of tight. That's crazy. Um, Devlin, Dynish, and I, we watched all the games. This okay. All four games. There's two games, Saturday, two games, Sunday, for the rest of the season uh, through April, I believe it is. That's what's up. Uh, the XFL got a huge boost, um, huge financial boost, actually, for them to come back. They got like a $100 million contract to do all eight teams in the league. Um, there's eight, it's an eight-week season. Hmm. Um, and our first home game is next week. We lost yesterday. Uh, we should have won. But it's the first week, you know, can't really judge the teams, yeah. can't judge any of the teams. I know Houston's team was on fire yesterday, though. It was crazy. But uh, next week, we'll be going to the game. Okay. You trying to go? You trying to roll? No, nah, I'll slide. Next Saturday. Slide. I'm in there. Yep. I'm in that thing. Mm-hmm. And they got it to where it's at um, CenturyLink, and they got the top bowl blocked out. So all the seats are good. It's like 200 club level and down. Okay, so it's all down, yeah. Everything. Yes, That's everything's good. good seats. I think the uh, the cheapest tickets are like 24 bucks. I'm in that thing. Okay. And I'm trying to get a beanie. I went online to try to order a beanie. Everything sold out. Well, that's dope. Everything that's sold dope. out. That's support. That's what's up. Yes, I want to get to stadium to bring back the in. Sonics. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> We're getting the hockey team though. Yeah, I'm cool. hella hype about that's the hockey cool. team. Like that's I'm cool. super hype. I heard the name might be. Um, it knows Kraken. The Kraken. Yeah. <sighs> that's hard. It, I think when I see the logo and the design, I'll accept it more because it's just kind of like they're already calling us the Seattle Crackheads. Who calls us that? You don't see the blogs? You don't read about the team? Yeah. Go on the blogs on the site, Seattle Times and all that. I try to stay off of blogs. Yeah. I don't really be on them, but for that cracking stuff, because it was kind of like, eh. The Seattle crackheads, though? Yeah. The, Why is that? So, what is that? Just because our homeless population didn't I, know I that? I guess, or, you know. I don't know. That's wild to me. I never heard that. But anyway, we got to see how our guest is doing. How's okay, your week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, my bad. Yeah. All right. How's your week, sir? Wonderful. I saw Reese yesterday. We were down there with some black families supporting education and just coming together. It's it's wonderful when people get together, are vulnerable, willing to share their struggles, their strengths. Uh, It felt like a a real community. That's mm-hmm. what's up. That's dope. Yeah, That's that was awesome. much needed yesterday. Yeah, I always. loved that, that workshop. It was uh, it was tight. I think I missed the first one, but when you brought up the question about divergence, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about our kids like being different than us and kind of moving in the pathway different than what we maybe have expected for them or try to place them in. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and how to handle that. Uh, that was a real eye opener for me. Yeah, we limit our kids when we think they can only follow the paths that we've passed, that we've uh, followed. Yeah. Yeah. Blaze. Yeah. I, Realized that my dad was trying to put me in some leather pants when I was 16. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to ask you gentlemen, do you guys have Valentine's Day plans? 
Um, I actually got asked to be somebody's Valentine. Yeah. So, um, you tell me not to ruin it for you. Yeah, not to ruin it for because <laughs> you know you're extra man and uh, you want to mess it up before it gets good for me. So I'm <laughs> not, gonna see how that goes. I'm rooting for you. Um, I'm gonna see how that goes. Um, nice lady. So we're gonna go hang out. Okay. Have a good weekend. I seen your tweet about it. Yeah. Yeah, I had to favorite it. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at my guy. He's happy. Yeah. yeah. There you got Valentine's Day plans? I had our Valentine's last night. When oh, I, nice. When I heard some old Bulldogs, Garfield Bulldogs back in town playing jazz. Nice. Okay. Uh, up at uh, Go Town Hawks. I'm a Bulldog. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He's a Bulldog, too. Yeah. 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 So forever in a day. Pound it. That's right, <laughs> a bulldog <laughs> podcast today. I see that purple beanie you got that purple in the back beanie. Oh man, I love it, man. So, I wanted right, to man. go to the field so bad, yeah. bro. I went to Washington, so I was like, yo, I gotta go there. The field, I I think one of my everybody says this, but our literally I had the teachers and everybody else say it too. The culture, the spirit, it left with us because we had a part of what came before us. Mm. And it's really Garfield's really like a brotherhood. A lot of people have the experience of, oh, man, I didn't like high school. I'm like, nah, I loved it. I had a ball. Like, yeah. Taught me more about life than it did education, but also with the education, it was still one of the best. Mm-hmm. You know, But um, it definitely gave me a well-rounded experience with life, especially being in the city at a time where it was still, we were at least half the population. Right. Now it's you know, next to nothing. But um, I just really enjoyed it. I mean, my grandma went there, my uncles, and so my right. family went there. My mom's the only person that went somewhere else, and she went to the beach. Okay. So, um Love her for that. Great experience. It was a great experience, though, man. Garfield, man, definitely amazing. I, I definitely cherish going there and graduating from there. Got you. For sure. Um, yeah, no, a lot of spirit, man. A lot of us are connected to Garfield just because so many of our families lived in the district. Yeah. You know what I mean? Coming up through the generations. Um, so there's still that connectivity. Yeah. Didn't you guys wipe Franklin the other day? Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it was like the old school, man. It was 100 to 40-something. Something, yeah, that was terrible. Yeah, man. Who's like coach? the good old days. Uh, um, for Garfield? Yeah. Uh, Brandon Roy. He came back? You no, know, yeah, he came back. Okay. They, they let him come back. Oh, that's tight. Yeah, so it was cool. It was cool. Um, I got Valentine's Day plans. I've had, they've been like kind of mixed up. I did get the hotel, though, because uh, okay. I was just going to do self-care Saturdays and bringing that back. All right, yeah. So I, I got the room. Like I said, I'm going to grab a bottle of Duce, and then I stumbled upon a date. That's nice. And uh, <laughs> But when I asked her, I was like, yo, um, I was like, man, let's go. I was, I was like, yo, what are you doing, X, you know, whatever date? And she was like, oh, I'm doing such and such. I was like, oh, okay, well, I already got, you know, I'm doing this. I usually go out to dinner around this time, but if you want me to go with you to whatever thing you got going, we'll just do that. I was like, I'm going to go back to the hotel after that. You don't have to come. She's like, are you trying to take me to the hotel? I was like, no, I'm not, well, I'm not trying not. to play like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, but if you want to come, that's fine. I was already in an emotion of Yeah, yeah. I was like, because I normally, uh, if I do self-care Saturdays, what I do is I'll go, you, yeah, you yeah. drop me off the one time. Yeah. Uh, I'll go, t- uh, I'll take a change of clothes, dress myself, you know, get dressed up, get a bottle for myself, go to the hotel bar, just like eat, you know, order a nice little dinner, some oysters, and I'll just right. chill and relax, you know what I mean? Yeah. They'll usually have like something going on like in the ballrooms downstairs, yeah. so I'll go down there, you know, dance a little bit. That'd be cool, too, because one time I went... Um, my friend had an event at uh, Lake Washington, um, the, Hyatt. The, the Hyatt. Yeah, and they ended up having the thing of Black College Fair. Or yeah, yeah, that was, that was popping. That was dope. That was it. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. needed that. Oh, we was there that night. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Uh, that yeah, because that was who else came that night. Trails came. Yeah, it'll turn out to be a Chris. good night. Yeah, all them guys came. A lot of beautiful black people. It I was lit, it. man. I, I love yeah. that. And like I said, I just went back up to my room. You know what I mean? And just enjoyed the view. You know what I mean? Went out to the little. Uh, went out to the lake. Overlooked it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was drunk. I was, ooh, I was super drunk that night. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that was it. Okay, so I've been trying to do this thing on the podcast for a long time. Uh, really, it's not really messing with it. But um, I'm trying to set up, like, a, a, a dating show for my man here. And he don't really be fooling with it. So I, I wanted to have this contest called Win a Date with Really. And I tried to set it up. Dog's not fooling. Are you still anti this? Yeah, because... Um 
I I'm not really I don't like the blind date thing. No, nah, we we'll have people like with submissions and all that. Submissions? Yeah, man. So I had it all I had it all mapped out. So look, David, I'm gonna tell you. He's, this pimp, dope, he's pimping right? me okay. out. Reese's no, pimping nah, me. So look, this is what. So we talked about coming to New Year single, right? I'm single. Mm-hmm. Bro here single. Wait, mm-hmm. you are single. Yes, am I messing up nothing? Yeah. Okay. You sure? Yeah, I'm very sure. I don't want to mess it up. No, I'm very, very single. Okay, got gotcha. you. Yeah. No worries. Uh, so uh, I was like, man, like, how can we take our podcast to the next level? Like, what can we do to spark some fun? You know what I mean? I was like, we should do a dating show. Because hmm. uh, I always wanted to do like a reality TV show. So I was like, man, what if we set bro up on a date? We already got some sponsors, people who are willing to. Uh, oh, I told, so you you- got that, I told we got that gift card. <laughs> We got <laughs> oh my, he's trying to sell my ass, man. We got a gift card to uh, two Tabellas. So I was like, man, we can sponsor a date. I'll throw some money in too. Oh, It'd be tight, you, man. You're a nice young lady to submit that. Yeah, so ladies, if you want to uh, win a date with really, that's what I need you to do. I just need you to tweet about the podcast. If you tweet about the podcast and tweet and using the hashtag win a date with really, and then you know your name be thrown into the hat for some submissions. We'll do it the week after Valentine's Day. I'll send you guys somewhere nice. All right. It'll be tight. I'm excited. You're not excited? <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> and I'm 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 anxious for it, man. Anyway, let's get let's get to our guest. David, I wanted to uh talk with you today uh about education, diversity, and inclusion. Um yes. like we talked about yesterday, we had the workshop where we were talking about black families. Yeah. How to support the parents, how to support the children better. Mm-hmm. Um can you get into a little bit about uh, what you do with well what scholars is and then what you do with scholars? Uh, Scholars is, a, is an outstanding program started 20 years ago by Bob Hurlbut and Sarah Smith. Sarah still runs the organization, really focused on one thing, changing the world, mm-hmm. period. Uh, how do we change the world? We have talent from all perspectives developed, right? So most right now, most black talent withers on the vine. We have, I would say, in Seattle... In third grade, maybe one in 25% of black kids reading at grade level. Really? Yes, really. Um, And literacy is probably the best predictor for, you know, for lifetime educational development. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when we have, on the other end, we have all this money coming down from tech saying, let's develop STEM in college and high school, mega resources. Mm-hmm. But most of our kids can't even tap that. Can't get right, to that right? resource. So yeah. if we are not, if we're not, if our families are not literate, lit, uh, literacy oriented from birth, mm-hmm. we just fade. Right. Yeah. And it's all, you know, it's it's the systems, it's the structural, yeah. and it's um, internalized racism. Yeah, for sure. So at this point, you know, they can look at us and say, well, you're not doing this right, you're not doing that right. You're, you know, you don't have fathers, you don't have, you have intimate violence, uh, intimate partner violence. You say, you know, you're not showing up for parent-teacher conferences. Right. That didn't happen by itself. It's 400 years of multi, uh, uh, multi-generational trauma. Yeah. Okay. We talk and about that. I think mm-hmm. we tell one half of the story. We either talk about the structural racism yeah. or we talk about how black folks aren't right. Yeah. Right. We need to talk about both. And no. it's not blaming anybody mm-hmm. to call out what is. Yeah. You know, if you have, if you have, uh, if you you have a child that's experienced, uh, let's say, violence in their home, or mm-hmm. they've been homeless, or they've had to move, or you know, you say you understand that that child's going to struggle. Right. And I imagine that going back two, three, four, ten generations. Right. And so the point is not to keep 
renaming the problem, but what are we going to do about it? Yeah. Right. I definitely feel that. We, um, I got a chance as a kid to go to a school called AAA, African American Academy. And so um, one of the only black schools that was in Seattle that were predominantly black. And so the order we got, it was started off, um, I forgot the location before me, but I went there in the mid-90s. It actually turned into Magnolia where they had another school that was basically abandoned. So we went to that school in Magnolia for a couple of years, and they got up the funds to build a new building on Beacon. Right. And then... The that was city, a dope building, by the, the way. The state stopped funding the school. Is that what happened? Yeah, mm. and lost money, and we couldn't get enough sponsors through the community to keep it open. Um, and it just opened my eyes to how we have so much resource, but they're directed in certain directions. And um, I believe they took a, a great a great place for kids to be, especially black kids, to be in Seattle where our population is dwindling, and we need more of us around, black teachers, black principals, administrators, and all that. Mm-hmm. And AAA really was a great place, and I'm blessed to go there, and I just wish kids of the future had a chance to go mm-hmm. because it's something that we need being here. And so that's the first time I got to see and realize that the state, not just voting, but picking and choosing where they want to put money, where they want to put funding. Mm-hmm. So they built this brand-new building that's probably only – 15 years old, 16 years old, and it only worked for AAA for about maybe 10. Yeah. And then they cut the funding and turned it into Valley. I bet it was what, 2000, maybe? 2000, 2001. 2001. So almost 20 years? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember um, my Uncle Gary, Gary Davis, was the vice principal at that yeah. time. Chase that. Yeah. I uh, was vice principal. I forgot who the principal was, but um, yeah, I didn't go there, but I remember going up there. Yeah. You so, know, like the, the building was beautiful. Yeah. We did Still a, is. We did a groundbreaking ceremony and all that, and um, just for it to go out how it went because the state didn't see the purpose to fund it. Mm-hmm. And then I realized when I got older that they had a couple white kids there due to trying to get funding. Oh really? Yeah, like one of so my they brought them in Michael, specifically for that reason. For, the, for that reason to get huh. funding. And Is so, that what's the what's the what's the term when they um, they, what's the term when they uh, affirmative action? Could be. Um, yeah. You know, they yeah. bring certain people in for you know to just basically to fill a role to say yeah, mm-hmm. hey, we have mm-hmm. white people here, we have a mixture of kids here, and so um, that opened up my eyes to education, especially being in Washington State, where I believe we have a great education system. It's just where and when. You know, where mm-hmm. they're directing the money and who they have in charge and who they're giving the ability and the resource to. So over the 20 years that uh, the scholars has existed, and yeah. you haven't been involved the entire time, right? You oh, no, just last two years. Oh, really? Right. Okay. I mean, I had been involved, but not formally. Got you. Yeah. Um, what kind of results are you starting to see or have you seen from the program? Well, college graduation rates. It's really about college graduation. Right. Uh, the myth is, I would say, the the sin of omission. What we don't talk about mm-hmm. is college graduation versus high school graduation. If you look nationally, high school black kids are graduating high school ninety two percent, white kids ninety five percent. So almost at par, right? Mm-hmm. But going to college, we graduate college at twenty three percent versus uh, forty forty five percent. That's okay. the national. Uh, Center for Education Statistics. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, this is an oversimplification, right? There's a right. lot of forces at Different, play. A lot of factors. Right? But just in terms of messaging, we get really happy when our kids graduate from high school. We don't recognize that doesn't mean you're prepared for college. So right. what's one of oh, the we things... Oh, we were talking about that. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the things Rainer Scholars does really well. It says, no, we got to talk about not only how you prepare for college, prepare to succeed... But how do you have them maximize the choices? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 40% of our kids who graduate college are graduating from the for-profit universities. You know what those include? What's that? Phoenix College, 
uh, Trump University, you mm. already know that's yeah. not a real school, right? I know. I mean, you can get, you know, there are some for private schools. I don't want to put them all in the same bin. But even when our kids go to college, we're not, we don't have the best choices. Yeah. So mm -hmm. Radiance College not only says college is a pathway to excellence, mm -hmm. uh, but we want you to have a choice to go to the best universities. Right. Yeah. That was something that when, uh, so Summers and Scholars, obviously, you know, my daughter, for those who, who don't know. Um, and it was something that when we talked about the workload, and we talked about what that what the expectations going to be like. And you guys just were very upfront saying, hey, this mm -hmm. is going to be a lot. Yeah. And I talked to other parents who have been involved in the program as well. And they said, you know, hey, there's going to be some nights where she's up at the, you know, kitchen table, yeah. you know, doing this until maybe midnight, you mm -hmm. know. And it seemed really daunting. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was something that, you know, I, Summer's mom and I were like, okay, we can we can all do this together. You know, right. we'll take on this challenge. Uh, I make it a point to stay up a summer. I never go to sleep before she's done with her homework mm -hmm. just because I want her to feel supported. So one of the things you brought up yesterday was, um, you know, making sure that the parents felt supported. Right. And I think that's very understated, even in continuing education, going to mm -hmm. high school, college, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, can you speak to that? You know, just the parents feeling away. Yeah. But let me back up a frame. Something you said earlier about expectations. Your daughter mm -hmm. is brilliant. We got a lot of brilliant kids, even if they don't test off the charts, because right. they have a different kind of genius. Yeah, might definitely. not show up right. in a COGAT test, right? Um, but... Not only does society and the educational system lower expectations for our kids, we lower expectations, yeah. right? Um, I see it on both sides. Um, a lot of parents won't do what you've done and put their kids in Rainier Scholars. A lot of black parents who are, uh, who do, whose kids have the ability because they say, well, I don't want my kid working that hard. Well, the reality is if we aren't on top of our game, if our kids don't go into middle school at the top, mm -hmm. then the bar is, is low, is real low. Yeah. For right. our boys, even boys who've gone through Rainer Scholars, we see when they go to the private schools, people are like, oh, no, we just want you to be cool. Like, no, mm -hmm. but I'm smart. Yeah. Uh, I'm right. And so yeah. they're always dumbing down expectations. So when the system is doing that, we got to make sure we don't buy into that. Mm -hmm. uh, our kids are brilliant beyond um, beyond our imagination. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they're capable. You probably see in summer how much harder she's working and that she can do it. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. But if we don't ask them to do it, then we just fall back into those low expectations for our girls and our boys. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, going back to your question uh, about parents, and, and it, it's, it's tied together because, you know, you have you're probably building relationships with other parents, fathers, mm -hmm. and mothers whose children are in Rainer Scholars. But for the most part, those children's parents are isolated from each other. And so when we come home, when they come home with stories about how hard they have to work or where they they're going to an independent school and, and experiencing racism, microaggression, macroaggression, how do you deal with that in isolation? Mm -hmm. The fact that you are not alone is probably the most powerful thing. Our, our, our executive director, Sarah, says that all the time. You're not alone. You know, we got, we have tutors, we have academic director, we have uh, academic advisors, we have a mental health team, mm -hmm. and we got parents Shout supporting out to Roy, each other. Man, I love right? Roy. Yeah, Roy. Yeah, Roy, Roy Fisher's uh -huh. off the chain. Um, so knowing that you're not alone is probably the most powerful thing. And if you're experiencing, another parent is experiencing something similar. Right. I think one of the biggest things uh, for me, and, and uh, I'll, I'll speak for Ronald as well, um, when we, we talk as parents, you know, like some of the struggles that we've dealt with, you know, I have a daughter, he has girls. Yeah. Um, you know, and just like from the male's perspective, you know, how do you, 
how do you instill strength? How do you instill um, just confidence? You know, into our daughters. You know, mm-hmm. and it's it's something. And you have a brilliant daughter. Your daughter's one of the smartest people that I know. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, mm-hmm. it's just you know how to go about that, especially as a black father. Because yesterday we sat at the table. It's not my job to you know tear down this young black woman. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know expectations can be pretty heavy and, and all those things, but it's not my job to tear you down. You know, and I think we parent our kids differently, like boys and girls. Yeah, I don't have any boys, yeah. but you know, I have sisters, and I watch the difference between myself and you know how my parents did, my sisters. Um, but uh, just speaking up, young black women. Young black women have it hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. first of all, they're sexualized at an early age. Yeah. Second of all, they have higher expectations. The girls are usually asked to look out for the baby brother, even sometimes the older brother. Um, so we put uh, we put a lot on our girls in terms of responsibility. Um, but the, you know, the other thing you talked about com- in, in community, you said, okay, my daughter did well in school, but really she had community. It mm-hmm. was, I would say the best parenting plan I had was surrounding my kids with other families who had similar values, yeah. mm-hmm. but different new, new, neuroses. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you, what you want to do is normalize those expectations. Right. Uh, if you are the only one who's who your child has those expectations from, then of course they're going to flip out and say, "Well, why do I want to do this?" Because you know all my friends aren't doing yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Summer does that a lot, actually. You know, my friend's not. You know, or we talked about you know her not cleaning her room. Mm-hmm. You know, and her feeling like she's been in trouble. And she's like, "Well, you know, I just feel a little discouraged because." All my friends don't seem to be in trouble. It's like, dude, you don't know what's happening in other people's homes, you know. Right. And you can't normalize getting in trouble because you think it's, you know, all sweet over, over here. Yeah. Right. I mean, over there. Yeah. Right. 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 You know, you gotta come on, kid. You know, mm-hmm. and, and just having those conversations with her, mm-hmm. like you don't like we talked about yesterday. You know, you don't know what's going on in somebody else's home. Right. So we got to right. be able to share these experiences, you know. And it was kind of, um, I, I guess, it was just comforting knowing that other people dealt with some of the same. You know issues that mm-hmm. we're dealing with, like we talked about procrastination, yeah, right, amongst our kids. You know, yeah, like that's the thing. I didn't know other people. You know, other parents. I figured other parents dealt with that in a sense. Mm-hmm. Wasn't too sure, but when they when when I said that yesterday, I brought it to the forefront. They were like, "Yeah, we all deal with that." I was like, "Oh, come on, I'm on okay. the I'm the biggest procrastinator out there." <laughs> you know, you always have things you got to do and the yeah. things you yeah. you, you want to do. do. Yeah, but you know, another thing we need to know, we need to be more explicit. We need to. Uh, highlight in our community is misogyny. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'll, be, I'll be straight up. Uh, you know, toxicity runs downhill. Uh, black families were strong before civil rights. We had all our, most of our fathers were in the home. We had uh, intact families, even though, you know, uh, the the history of, of uh, slavery, enslavement, and Jim Crow repeatedly tried to break up the black family, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Uh, you, you see families seeing their parents sold away, seeing children sold away. Uh, but we, you know, you don't have to teach black folks resilient. Just being black is being <laughs> resilient, is, right? Yeah, sure, yeah. But then what happened in the last 50 years has been crazy. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that comes from mass incarceration and, and, and targeted, you know, police brutality. War on drugs, yeah. all yeah, that. Yeah, all that. Yeah. When you treat a group of people like criminals long enough, you, people live up to that, Man, right? Right. And yeah, yeah. misogyny, you know, we talk about this country being founded on racism. I would say racism and sexism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, women didn't get the right to vote until 1920, 100 years ago. Um, and so a lot of the worst of this country has concentrated in our community. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not fault 
I'm just saying it is what it is. No, you, it is. Yeah. You, you talked earlier about um, the African American Academy. Yeah. That building now is called Rising Star. Yeah. Right? Is it? Mm-hmm. And just look banner, at this. Yeah. I was talking to the principal a couple months ago, and she said there were 80 families <laughs> in that building that were coming out of DV, domestic violence shelters. Mm-hmm. And 90% of those families, those primarily mothers, are guess what? Race. Black. Black. Mm-hmm. Right. So our. When we think about our girls, we got to think about our mothers. Yes. Uh, if you experience anything as a child, that becomes normal. So a lot of our girls are growing up, girls and boys are growing up witnessing excessive rates of domestic violence, violence sexual yeah. trauma, yeah. Uh, gender violence. Uh, you talked earlier about the, the gay-straight divide and you know uh, the oppression. The mm-hmm. gay folks uh, uh, feel, for, and sometimes from us, well, our girls, they're growing up in environments where that's normalized, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And so that shows up, like we talked about yesterday, the emotional and the, and the, uh, the academic or the cognitive are tied. Right. If we have a big emotional load, then that limits how much we can put into the educational so we right. got we got to fix that. We got to right. we got to be honest about it, not to blame ourselves, but it says this is where we are. Yeah. So our black black women come out the gate facing an uphill battle. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um I, I never try to um just to your point, I never try to shield summer for from a lot. I mean, I try to do my, you know, my, my due diligence as a parent. Uh, and I'm sure you do as well. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I'm sure you had to do that with Niasha as well. Just making sure she's very, make sure that they're aware of what's going on. Mm. You know, but try not to have them face it head on by themselves. Right. Uh, because there's, there's a lot. You know, and we mm. talk about uh, just black culture in general, uh, as far as like the music. You know, mm-hmm. the, the messaging and the oh my goodness, the media, the, the, the films culture, that we watch. Yeah. Right. The, even the cartoons that we watch. You know, we we're watching The Proud Family the other day, Summer mm. and I, mm-hmm. and. Um, there was a, a moment where Penny Proud, the daughter, um, I think her her dad just told her, you know, like go, you go to the kitchen with your mom or something like that, and she kind of took a stand. I was like, I'm more than that, right? You know, right. and so just to be able to see powerful representations like that, you know, mm-hmm. and then hear that from your dad as well, right. you know, you are right. more than this. You are right. capable of whatever it is, right? Um, I think we need, we definitely there needs to be a focus on that, you yeah. know, and we need to not, especially like if you're a single father. You know, like raising your daughter, you split household for the mother. Yes. You know, she needs to get that messaging from you that she is more than she's capable of, you know, whatever it may be. And we gotta call we gotta call each other out because this stuff is so deeply embedded. I I'm sexist, I'm racist. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, not because I wanna be. <laughs> I'm spending yeah. I'm gonna yeah. spend the rest of my life and the last fifty years undoing what is part of the culture. Yeah, right. And so we can't assume, even if we have good intentions, that we're not contributing to that yeah. to that to that storyline. Mm-hmm. I know I am. Yeah, that's why right. I tell a lot of people, um, not just this country, but being being black in America is traumatic. It's you born post traumatic syndrome. Like you have certain things that are a trigger. So mm-hmm. I talked about it all the time, whether it be, you know, young black women, young black men. We have generations of trauma, generations of abuse that normalize things and also make it feel like this is supposed to happen. I'm going to go through this. I remember when I turned 30 years old and I was like, damn, they told me I was going to die when I was 21. Mm, Like, you know, for so long I was supposed to not make it. The statistic was this and this was that. And and I remember uh, me and my brother were talking. I was like, bro, we're 
And not only us making it at that age, but also having older brothers who pass away young, cousins right. who die young. You know, friends, friends who we start losing senior year of high school is just like I feel it. You know, they're saying it, they're implementing this, and they're implementing it into us, but they're not really saying you could be better than that. They're not saying you could go beyond this. And then for me to be thirty, looking back, like, damn, I'm actually still here. I'm actually still alive. You know, it's up to me to change it, but I got to unlearn all that I know. You got to unlearn what you've been taught, right. and uh, that's a process I've really been going through for the past four or five years, coming from where I come from. And the more history I learned, the better I learned to change things myself or do little things at a time that would change the outcome, especially having my daughters. That was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me, mm-hmm. was having women to raise and teach right. them to respect themselves and how to put themselves first in a society in the world that's going to put them last all the time. And mm-hmm. that's going to look down on them, or only look at them because they're pretty or because they got whatever body or whatever. So um, that was a blessing to me having daughters, and I, and I thank God for that all the time because right. of where I come from and how I came up and what I came around. I didn't know the worth of a woman, not because of my mom wasn't a good woman, but because my dad didn't show me how to love a woman. Mm-hmm. He wasn't around like that. So I think we got to change things generational-wise. But it all starts with self-accountability and then holding someone you know accountable. Like, hey, you know this ain't it? Mm-hmm. You going to change it? Or, you know, we yeah. can't we can't normalize or say this is okay because you're you and you've been through this. No. Like, I've been through certain things. I realize I can't let that determine who I am or make it okay for me to do certain things, you know? And you and I have had conversations like yeah, that over the sure. past year. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was last year was a hell of a year, you know, yeah. but just a lot of unlearning <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, reconditioning uh, of the mind, and, exactly. you know, and of the spirit. And, you know, I, I always say straight up, like, you know, the change in our culture, you mm-hmm. know, begins with how we treat the women. Um, I think yeah, I think it's, and it's a lot deeper than just black folks. Um, you know, we, we live in a, in a nation that, that has a, a myth of meritocracy. Like, you made it because you worked hard, which is not true. It's just incomplete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And so because... Black females are graduating from college at a much higher rate than black males. We say, oh, well, they're fine. Well, well, you can be fine in terms of achievement, but you can still carry a lot of emotional ro- uh, load, trauma. Right, right. And so that's not healthy. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for your children, for the next generation. Um, and then zooming out, you know, everything that's happened. I, I, I think black people are, we are kind of the, canaries in the mind of democracy. Yeah. Everything that's failing in our nation is failing worse for black folks, right? We talk about mm-hmm. connectedness. Connectedness is mm-hmm. eroding since the late 1970s. We talk about the shrinking middle class. Black folks are falling from, talk about Garfield and how that yeah. changes in 20 years, right? And that's not just a loss of place, that's a loss of community and yeah. it's a loss of wealth. Right. And so right. huge. If we want to, I, I really see this as, as a national priority, and not even so much for black folks, because black folks have always survived, right? But we look at where do we want America to go? We are spending a lot of money trying to get talent from overseas because we don't, the tech companies don't have enough homegrown talent. No, right. right. But where is that? We do have talent. It's just yeah. not growing. It's not being developed. You know, and, yeah. and to add to that, just that specific point, when I worked at Honda, uh, there were a lot of people that would come over here from like India, uh-huh. you know, or um, come over here from somewhere in, in Asia, and they would be, they would have the, you know, the money for the car already, wow, pre-approved. Mm-hmm. You know, Amazon's paying them, you know, whatever. They already had this pre-approved amount from the job, or right. Microsoft is giving them X amount. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, man, how come? Like you said, you know, why is why are these tech jobs exports? Right. Um, I don't understand it, you know, because but we have these 
um, schools in our inner, inner cities, mm-hmm. you know, like these STEM programs and, and yep. tech programs and all this other stuff. What's happening with that? Like, why are they not being able to get placed for jobs and, and things of that nature? Like, I, I don't understand what the disconnect is, but we have the programs already. You know, because we, I mean, uh, Bickham was one of the first people who was part of one of the like STEM, early STEM programs when we were younger. Yeah. He had a job at the bank and, you know, mm-hmm. a bunch of other stuff. So I'm just wondering, and not, I'm not trying to blame him for anything or nothing like that, but I just wonder, like, how come a lot of us didn't have that same opportunity? Mm-hmm. Um, Shooting. I yeah. just, I think where they place programs in the direction they're going, because even us, we did TAF. Which was for coding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My son did tap. Yeah. 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 And so okay, yeah. yeah. So it's kinda like um at that time, yeah, they put it right there in the C D. We go to Washington Garfield, it's right there. And um what I know is working with the I work with the Seahawks. And so mm-hmm. I work with one of the players and do some PR. What I realize is they they kind of bunch us together without knowing where to go. You know? Mm-hmm. I'm in Seattle. No, you're not. You're in Bothell. No, you're not. You're up in um Magnuson or something. You know, you right. you're not in the inner city or the urban, so called urban areas that you're saying you're applying this resource to or this ability to. Gotcha. And so just like with Taff, Taff is on twenty third and lane, you can't miss that. You know, you can't right. get past Jenkins. that. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so that lasted only so so long though. And then mm. I think it moved to Ballard or something. So now you're not around anymore. Uh, federal way, I think. Federal way? Yeah. Okay, south, yeah. It was south. Okay. okay. So now all of that is moving and all that is changing. You don't have the ability. At first, yeah, it went from there, Columbia City. Columbia City. Then Federal yeah, Way. I've never been yeah. to Columbia City. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, just to think about where they're putting the resource. They're putting the ability uh, for people of our color and our uh, demographic to reach out and be a part of. And I just think it's where you place the the, the resource and also where you're trying to direct it. And I don't think they put too much in our way for us to do. We have to go find it. Well, you know, uh, the founder of TAF, Trish Malines Zico, I messed up her name, but she wanted to move down to Rainier Beach mm-hmm. and then face a lot of opposition from the community. I believe it. Right? I and so, it. Why, though? I'm just... I, I don't remember the details. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is a tough sister that was trying to do right for black yeah, folks. Yeah, for sure. And, and face opposition, even from our community. Yeah. And, you know, it, you know, there's a lot of self-hate uh, it shows up in different ways, and I don't yeah, know the wild, details. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I'm not speaking to that. Like you know, it's just wild to me. That well, being a be student in. of it, it's just how it moved. You can just tell that it was people that was within the communities that weren't with it. They were going against it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was nothing wrong with. It. We had no problems. It was like interesting. It was a lot of kids that went there. A lot of kids that learned from there and graduated from there. And um, you could just being in it, you could just see how we're losing it. You know, yeah, I, I yeah, can see yeah. it. We're losing it. You know, what I'm saying. Do you think it's a to to the point you were making about her wanting to move it to Rainy Beach and facing mm-hmm. opposition, do you think yeah. that we're fighting a lot amongst ourselves or fighting ourselves a lot? You know, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, overreach. I yeah. I don't. I didn't follow it. Yeah, but okay. I know. I know her heart. I know that she she started this. Well, I mean, primarily. I don't even mean that specifically. Yeah. but I just I do mean though, like just um, like amongst ourselves, are we fighting each other and like halting our own progress? Well, we are. If you go back to Rainer Scholars, and you know, this is not about blaming folks; it's just about calling out yeah, what yeah, is yeah, right. Yeah. You know, we struggle, and Rainer Scholars has has evolved a lot. And not to hold it up as it, it's there's no one solution. Mm-hmm. Rainer Scholars does some things well, and there's a lot th- a lot of things that Rainer Scholars can't solve. Mm-hmm. I think to your point is the resources are out there, but we need a new configuration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, if you look at how do we stop multi generational trauma from per- perpetuating? You know, how do we create multi generational well being? I say we start at birth, at the time where there's a great greatest level of hopefulness mm-hmm. in okay. a family, right? 
and we have to bring together a number of resources. Number one is housing. Most of our kids in South Seattle, black kids in South Seattle schools, are moving schools every one or two years. Yeah, for sure. That is due to housing instability. It's due to families being in survival mode. Yeah. There are plenty of housing resources out there, but most of them are not getting to black folks. Right mm-hmm. uh, and there are other communities that are accessing those resources very well. Yeah, for like sure. NFTE. I'm not sure what that means. Um, I forgot what the what it stands for. It's like multifamily tax, whatever it is. Okay. Um, but it's a program that's out there that like helps you stabilize rent in uh, certain places. So yeah. uh, I know I looked into it a couple of years ago. Okay. You know, if there's a building where the rent is like 2,400, it helps you. you know, I think it knocks it down to like 1,800 for you, mm-hmm. depending on the building. I think so many um, different apartment complexes and housing right. units have to have. MFTE, and I think they get a tax okay. break on the back end or something yeah. like that. My, my daughter's mother works for housing, and so, I mean, just knowing her and being around her and seeing things, it's a lot of people who aren't black that get the resource. A yeah. lot of people who's on yeah. Section 8 or on welfare or on- They make it yeah. hard, man. They, they make it hard, and also because of them not being from here, they're a minority, or being a woman, they're a minority. So they mm-hmm. get the same, if not better, benefits than we get. You know what I would do to be on Section 8, <laughs> for a voucher well you know what we did I'll tell you this it was just a, a report published by Brightbeam okay. uh, a think tank organization um, that showed the top 10 most liberal cities have the highest rates of uh, gap between black and white educational mm-hmm. outcomes mm-hmm. Seattle, San Francisco, New York, Boston among them uh, compared with conservative cities and so we make a lot of assumptions. We we often think, well, Seattle's progressive, and so there's less racism. I don't think no, it it's is. Not. No, it's yeah. not true. There's yeah, a not different true. form yeah. of racism, different and then form, we yeah. hide behind that. So to your point, a lot of resources, I'll see studies that, that will show how bad black kids are doing, yeah. mm-hmm. and then the resources are made available to people of color. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Right there, you just flip the script. Yeah, right. And right there, which if you don't acknowledge that, People of color is such a broad spectrum. Everybody doesn't have the same navigational abilities. Right. And so we need resources uniquely targeted for the most marginalized, which in this country for 400 years has been black folks, indigenous folks, Mm -hmm. and I say women. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what's the intersection? In cities, there happen to be a lot more black folks than indigenous people, but I think we need the same kind of targeted strategies to serve the folks. Multi-generational trauma is a booger. It's not, it's it's another level of trauma from individual trauma. Yeah. yeah. I wanna um and that's that's heavy one to I, I'm gonna ponder on that for for a while. But I do want to shift gears a little bit to talk about um just black male involvement in education. Hmm. You and I were talking yesterday about, you know, like how, how many people didn't have any black male teachers growing up. Right. Um and I think that's like it's catastrophic. That's why this is triple A. That's why I don't care what anybody says. I love that place. I appreciate it, and it and it, and it really what we needed being in Seattle and mm-hmm. being young and black was a school that had a black principal, black teachers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just it's what we needed. You right. know, period, yeah. point blank. You know, have mm-hmm. someone who was like us, who came up like us, who thought like us, and seemed better in us. Mm-hmm. To actually give us that effort and energy, and not just do what the book says or do what you know. It, it was great, great place, and I'm very thankful. And I want to shout out the Panthers 
because Triple A was, <laughs> you know, we was, was the Panthers, but um, it, it was a great place, man. I right. I loved it. I got a lot of educational resource, but also I got love from people who look like me. Right. I got love from people who thought uh, thought like me and also knew what not to do and told me that in the right way. Right. Instead of saying, yeah. "Hey, you know, don't do this," but they're doing it in front of me. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I that's huge having someone that's teaching you black. Mm-hmm. You know, someone you on in house suspension. It's a black dude in there. He ain't playing. You know, like right. okay, <laughs> I'm gonna do yeah. this wall sit. And I'm gonna get up out of here. <laughs> no, it, it was it was real, man, and I loved it. And um, they're teaching us about Africa and uh, currency of African people and um, singing songs of African culture. There's just so much that we learned there that um, I wish that people that are coming up, young black people, um, young black boys and girls, get to experience. Um, but I don't know if it will happen unless it was somebody with, you know, the resource to create. Well, I think, uh, I, I guess for me, one of the biggest things is having more black men interested in education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing a lot more? Because uh, you're in education daily. Yeah, not, not, not per se. I haven't seen it. You know, I, I, I want to build on what you said because I think that's powerful. Uh, black boys, black people seeing, seeing themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you go into any field. Everybody's saying we need more black engineers, we need more black social workers, we need more black police officers, yeah. we need more black teachers, more and you know, uh, I don't think we can wait till that happens. Yeah, right. I would say we need both uh respectful mm-hmm. and um and rigorous. Yeah. I'll give you a, for example, um one of my sons uh, we put in St. Therese, okay. uh, you know, about 15 years ago, and he was struggling in elementary school, struggling tremendously. And there was a lot of black love at St. Therese at that time. Yeah. I'm not saying there isn't now. I just haven't right. kept I, up. I, at right? that time, I definitely remember it. Yeah, right? For sure. And there, were, there was a black principal who, you know, could be straight and love our kids. She was tough and, and, and cared. Yeah. And, and he had mostly black teachers but mostly what he had was a place that knew, believed in his potential. Exactly. His favorite teacher, I would say the angel who saved his life, Mr. D, Mr. Demarutus, was a white man. Yeah. Uh, but he had the same love for black kids as the yeah, black, yeah. right? And so it was a place. But then he transitioned to a high school that was, once he was emotionally more confident, mm-hmm. to a place that was rigorous. Yeah, And that's the thing, again, not to hold up Rainier Scholars as the only, but the thing we try to do real well, our academic director has built this program out over the last 10 years, Samiko Huff, and Roy Fisher, you talked about earlier, a place that is both rigorous and loving. Yeah, The whole curriculum is built around cultural identity, but everything is with rigor. You know the, mm-hmm. the math, the, the the science, the uh, the uh, the literacy, and I think sometimes when we focus just on having a caring environment, mm-hmm. culturally sensitive, black teachers, sometimes we forget about the the rigor. Yeah, and right. We, and, and we're really reality uh, saying that we can't we can't do both, but we can. Yeah, mm-hmm. we definitely can. And I, I met your son as well. Is he still working for? He's working for what? NFL Films? Is that where he was at? Uh no, th- this one I'm talking about. He's with Equal Opportunity Schools. Oh okay, uh, another okay. great organization. Okay, got yeah. you. Educational organization that works to get more black kids into highly capable advanced learning. Mm-hmm. And the way they do it is not so much by uh, getting more black kids prepared. They ch- they work 
primarily on changing the mindsets of the white educators, just believing nice. in the kids. Okay. My mom needs to hear that because exactly. that's definitely her thing all the time. <laughs> My mom's an educator as well. Yeah. And she talks about, you know, uh, I think she's just about to finish up school. And she talks about, like, being in these classes, you know, with a lot of white educators and, like, how they interact with the kids. And then mm-hmm. how her teaching style is very different, you know, and, right. and just trying to help them learn and understand the kids more, you know, by doing different things and mm-hmm. employing different methods and getting mm-hmm. them to just be different, you know, and seeing being able to get different results. Right, right, um, right. I say if I was looking for teachers, I, yes, I would love for our kids to have more more people that look like them. Mm-hmm. I would say yeah, I would even prioritize sure. above that, have teachers who believe in them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be huge. Black or white. I want to talk about uh, black fatherhood. I don't know we only got uh, a couple more minutes, but I do want to talk about the importance of um, black fatherhood hmm. um, and just – Huge, yeah. I mean, it's it's monumental, and I, you do an incredible job. I know you have your girls a lot, yeah. Um, and it's every time I see you with them, I I just get really happy because it's like I, mean, I know you've talked about you know your dad not being around, yeah, as often as you wanted him around, yeah. You know, and not giving you those tools. So when I see you with the girls, you know, what they guys are playing, you're they're playing dolls and you're playing with them or whatever it may be. I just always think that that's a very important presence, you know. Yeah, it is. And no matter what, like you know, people may think of us or any of that, like. We love being fathers. Fathers, yeah, for yeah. sure. That that passion is unmatched. Um, that love is unmatched, and um, I, I understand at that time maybe what my father was going through. Mm-hmm. Maybe he wasn't mentally strong enough. You know what I'm saying? But what I do know is that love overcomes all, especially when you have someone in this world that's looking up to you and believing in you as a person. And I just could never, I could never leave them for anything. And you know what I'm saying? It's been times where it's been hard mentally, and. Just knowing that I have to be the one that they see, that they believe in, that comes to save them, it, it's made me step up every time. There's nothing I would trade in the world for this experience that I'm going through with having uh, my daughters. Um, but not having my dad would made me realize that I can't misbeat. I don't care what their moms do. I don't mm-hmm. care what, you know, I have to give the effort. I have to be there because of I know of a person that raised me and then left me and made every excuse. And so once you get older, you're like, hey, man, excuses wasn't shit. Like, you could have did this or, you right, know. Right. And so um, being someone who was, you know, my dad left when him and my mom divorced, he just left. You know, went back home. And um, I seen him probably, I'm 32 now, I probably seen him only probably three or four times, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's just every time it's the same thing. And um, it's both having to get over things but also knowing that, hey, you haven't grown. You know, there's no right. way you have children in this world that you're just like, non-existent you know i wash my hands with it you know it's over and so that experience i go through and things i've been through push me to go through things i shouldn't go through you know to mm-hmm. be a father but i know what it feels like to not have your dad there and to love somebody that's not there so i would never put my daughters through that and i understand mm-hmm. men that do that knowing what they went through and how they felt and you know like like we talked about women it's it's different mm-hmm. and i would never let the world determine who my daughters are you know, they're going to mm-hmm. make a mark in the world that the world's not going to make them. You know, right. I'm going to make them and help them become better women. So um, I think not having a dad helped me more than having him because I'm less like him and better than him already. Right. For sure, for sure. That's powerful to say. Yeah. yeah and Dave, you have three children, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. How was that? Um, and they're all older. They're all up and out the house. And Yeah, 25, yeah. 20, 25, 27, 29. Mm-hmm. Whew. How was that now that they're adults? Well, it was one of my greatest joys. They have a great relationship with each other and seeing how much they care. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would say my my goal when I had it written on the wall in front of my desk and looked at it every day, said my goal is to raise children who develop their gifts in service to humanity. Um, you know, and they they have been fortunate to have the resources to live in a comfortable home, to have two, you know, two parents and a community that, that supported their genius. Mm-hmm. Um nice. 
I would say fathers, you know, when we look at black fathers uh, who are struggling, we really can't, we need a lot of healing. Yeah, for sure. I would say every father wants to be there for their child. If we're not, it's usually out of shame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And you're exceptional because you were able to flip the script. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times, as bad as we want to not be like our parents yeah. in certain ways, we end up being end that because like, it's yeah. so deeply ingrained. No, that's right. what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going mean to cut you off. That's Like I said, I've been at times where I'm going to just be like, man, F it. You know, yeah. but then I'm at my other, my other side's like, dog, you've been here to where your dad used any excuse not to be there. Right. You know, you could have you could have been there regardless. And so um, I, I'm glad I took that. And that's one thing that makes me happy a lot is being able to turn that negative into a positive because it is some mental it's healing we need. And it is like you say, you could become just like your parent without knowing it. Like one time I, remember, I was like, you could have just went the other way and like did what your dad did. It's exactly what he would have did. You know, exactly mm-hmm. at a point in time he went through something with the child's mom and, you know, instead of saying, hey, I'm going to still be there and make it happen, it's just like he just, hey, I digress. <laughs> right. I'm cool. Yeah. And so um, I'm happy I could turn that into a positive because you are who your parents are. You just have to be a better version. And I found myself already only having my oldest daughter being six, plenty of times where I've been a better version of who my father was. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's true true to nature. You know, you don't even have to be around a person. You yeah. just have their genetic code. You just have, you know, their abilities and their disabilities already without even having to be raised by them. So, yeah, that's a real thing, man. That's well, wild. you talked earlier about resources, and I believe the resources are out there, but we just need to bring them together in the right way. Mm-hmm. Like down in Hillman City, Jeanette and Margaret Charles, they, okay. they run an organization called Dads, and they're mostly serving a lot of brothers coming out of incarceration, mm-hmm. right, reconnecting with the family. And, he, you know, Marvin's one told me it's often shame yeah. that keeps fathers from reconnecting with their kids because you, you don't want to show up if you can't do right. Yeah. Uh, but through community, uh, I mentioned earlier uh, housing. I think that the other housing and healing, but the other thing, we got to rebuild community, mm-hmm. connectedness, the understanding that uh, we need each other. Mm-hmm. And then by holding each other accountable. Yeah. I, I, I will keep talking about the the, the misogyny and the, the sexual trauma in our community because the only way to heal that is is for us men to hold each other accountable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I we can't, can't, we I can't, can't keep slipping that own. shit under the rug, man. I, you know, just on the, sorry, let me interrupt you, but no, it's coming on. On, the, on the heels of, you know, we talked about like with, you know, the Kobe Bryant, you know, and what he went through, you mm-hmm. know, the sexual assault or rape case and, and, mm-hmm. and all that, and just unpacking, you know, like how heavy that was for our community mm-hmm. uh, at the time, and people just don't want to talk about it, you know, and mm-hmm. I think there's a responsibility. We got into an argument the other night. We were at a... Yeah. Burnett's, where mm. uh, my cousin brought up, she was like, I think that the media has a uh, responsibility to talk about it. And I said, is, are we talking about it? You know, um, are we bringing it up? You know, because it is part of his legacy. Mm-hmm. Or are we looking to tear somebody down? Are we mm. healing or are we just creating a bigger bu- problem or buzz? Or, right. You know, and anger? I think that a lot of times as men, like we don't want to address things like that because mm-hmm. uh, it's hard for us and it's uncomfortable for us. And mm-hmm. we live in a world where, mm-hmm. as a man, I don't have to deal with certain things, you know? Right. If I don't want to, I can shut it off. Right. Um, excuse me, but I think a lot of times, you know, somebody brought up to me the other day, they were saying, you know, a lot of our uncles, grandpa, you know, cousins or whatever, you know, older generations, they did these traumatic things to, you know, the women that we know grew mm-hmm. up with. Mm-hmm. But we still greet them at every family barbecue and every, mm-hmm. you know, family get together and whatever. We just swept that under the rug. We have to stop doing that. I think on the other end of that though, you don't if you don't know for sure or for certain, right? You don't place that on somebody. 
Right. You know, and that's right. to your point. You know, you always say you can't put that jacket on somebody, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so I think there has to be more productive and constructive conversations mm-hmm. surrounding sexual assault, sexual abuse, rape, rape mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. Um, from both sides, men and women, because we really stand apart on these issues. Like we want to say, as much as I want to say, uh, you know, I want to be an ally to women, you know, I know that there's things that, that have been brought up to me, you know, about friends. I'm like, ah. Uh, I second guess it a little bit, you know, where I want to believe women, mm-hmm. but it's like, uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know if this is, you know, did you exaggerate this? Is this, uh, it sounds really elaborate, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but we really have to get to a place where we can just have more productive and constructive conversations. I, I don't well, know. I remember what that. Oprah said when she, uh, you know, at 40, she told her father about, you know, how her uncle had raped her. Mm-hmm. And in the first question, her father asked her, a grown woman was, what did you do to tease him? What did you do to lean your mom? You know, yeah, she, was, so, she was a little, yeah. she, and that's that's our default. Right. It's always the woman's fault. You know, you bring up Kobe, uh, you know, she said, what happened with him? I say, what happened to the woman? Um, because we are, and I think it goes back to the meritocracy. We like performers. We like stars. Of course. And it's more important for us to support. Look at how many people, how long it took folks to acknowledge uh, Cosby. I mean, I was the biggest Cosby fan. I made sure my kids watched all of us. And I was like, you know, I was not looking for a reason to bring him down. At all. Mm-hmm. But w- women don't exaggerate. Most women don't ever report yeah. right. trauma, right. let alone exaggerate. When they tell the story, 90% of the time, they're telling you a fraction mm-hmm. of it, right? So we got to start with believing uh, and not this idea of holding up our heroes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That gets in the way. You know, that's right. what gets in the way with priests, with police officers, with every trade that we esteem or every authority well, yeah. authority yeah. holding them in esteem is more important than actually telling the truth. Right. I think that's where we as a culture, that's not just a black thing. No, well, it's, yeah, that's, yeah. Not, that's, yeah. A, that's I think, a human thing. I mean, because on one end we need heroes, right? We need heroes, we need people that we've exalted and put on these pedestals just to have something to aspire to. Right. On the other end, the danger in that is glossing over all the mistakes that they made. Mistakes and the wrongdoings they're doing exactly. justifying who they are. Exactly. Or, yeah. Um pacifying you know. it. And I and I think that it's it's our responsibility just as men to be more responsible about the things that we've done and mm-hmm. said and you know and what we've done. I'm mm-hmm. more concerned about what I've done than right. with the next person. So, because right. um, like I said, I've had things said about me, and I'm like, okay, this is true. We'll put this in the true box okay. over there, and then this is not true. So let's right. just, you know, what I mean, let's remove that. But I want to be honest about as much as much as possible, as much as I can, mm-hmm. uh, just to be responsible to you know whatever it is that I've done, mm-hmm. and let's talk about it because I you know believe the change begins in us. And know? yeah, mm-hmm. and it's so. a part just like with you, this part where where we come from, what we've been through. Right. So it's kind of what we normalize, what we sit to the side, what we compress. Even with me, um, I, I had a problem with thinking every woman was for me mm-hmm. just because that's what I seen growing up. Mm-hmm. And that's not the truth. You know, that's not really what it is. So I had to find out that women, more their feelings are more serious than what we knew or what I was taught. Right. And so once I realized oh, man, that, that's deep. I got, yeah, I got better with dealing with somewhere. women, um, not entertaining every woman. And not approaching every woman. And right. so I just think where we come from turns into who we are and it's up to us to like um we were speaking about earlier, unlearning things. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and turning Unlearning is harder than learning. It very is. Yeah. It very is very much so. And um I've done Ooh. a lot of that. And so um Because it goes against what you what you know. What yeah, you well, I thought this was it. Yeah. No, nah, it's not it. <laughs> it's not it. It's in your muscle memory. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I, absolutely. Yeah. Um I, I do wanna say, and we're gonna wrap this up soon, but I do wanna say to everybody out there, I know that people have hit me and said, Hey, your boy hit you and said, you know, uh, 
stoned on your boy, but you know, with the podcast, gets you through my shifts at night. And some people told me that they look at the podcast as like a bit of therapy. We mm. don't really get because we represent um, just this podcast in this city. We represent uh, something that a lot of podcasts don't. It's a straight black male's perspective, you mm. know, on a lot of different things, you know. And a lot of people do have podcasts, but it's usually like music certain podcasts. topics certain yeah. subject yeah and we, we kind of broke we're everywhere a variety it, yeah. of things. We're and everywhere. so even for myself over the past year the podcast has been therapy you know mm-hmm. just coming here been able to talk to my guys yeah. you know talk to people that I know and love and know me and mm-hmm. call me out even though you know we talk about a bunch of debaucherous stuff and we talk about we joke about drugs and I have to say that <laughs> I gotta stop joking about drugs on the podcast <laughs> Everybody people, think you're coked out all the time <laughs> mad concerned. I'm like bro I don't do cocaine as often as you think I do It's hella funny um, but, um, but yeah it's therapy You know in a sense And this is like our version of the barbershop uh, For me at least You know um, you know, like I said We get a chance to talk about a lot of different things So I want to continue to be open I want to continue to have conversations like this You know with individuals such as yourself yeah, Any suggestions anybody Just you know tag me or Reese or you know, send us a message about something you want to talk about or something that needs to be explained. I mean, definitely open to that because um, more people listen when we know. A lot of people won't tell you they're paying attention, but they are. So if there's anything you want to talk about that he feels that we missed or anything, then go ahead and let us know. Definitely yep. be willing to cover it. Go ahead, sir. Well, if I could say this, I mm-hmm. you know, we can talk about this like it's just a black thing. Okay. I think about it as healing democracy. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, everything that needs to be better in America. And we all want... We all want uh, we talking about social emotional well being and mm-hmm. wellness and you know healthy communities, um, everything we want. All of us, everybody in America wants for our nation, really is is demonstrated in how we treat the least, the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think about the most vulnerable in terms of the people who have been marginalized the longest. So. If we can make this nation work for black folks, for indigenous folks, for women, really be healthy, I think it's going to be a great nation mm-hmm. for everybody, yeah. including the people with wealth and privilege. Yes, sir. I agree. I think that's a great place to stop. I got to go. That was a great point. We're getting kicked out of here. That was beautiful, though. Um, yeah. Oh, also, I just want, last thing, you have anybody to shout out? You want any shout outs for you? Um, my, my youngest daughter's birthday is coming up. Happy birthday, Skylar. Daddy loves you. Mm-hmm. And now uh, we're going to party Saturday. We're going to kick it big like we always do. Nothing new. Okay. Let's make it happen. Yes, sir. Uh, you got anything coming up, sir? Anything you want to? No, I, I will say thank you to uh, the, the team at Rainer Scholars. Uh, you talk about folks that are 100% committed uh, for the whole the whole child. And, and really, it's about the next generation. Yes, sir. Right. I think if we all had the next generation or two-generational perspective, we would, um, we'd have better solutions. For sure. For sure. I agree with you there. Uh, I love scholars, by the way. Thank you for that opportunity. Um, you know, because Summer loves it too. And I've, I've seen her open up a lot since being involved in the program. Nice. Um, I do want to say my guy Sean Carson has a project coming out on Thursday. I think it's the 13th. It's called uh, Rent is Due. It's a Rent is Due mixtape. Uh, so everybody check for that. It's going to be dope, I'm sure. Um, oh, yeah, right in time for Valentine's Day because he's a sap like that. That's tight. Um, <laughs> and Valentine's Day is when? Friday? It's Friday. Summer and I are going uh, going out, going to dinner. You said you have plans. You're doing your thing? Yeah. You already had your Valentine's Day? Yeah, I did. I stumbled into a Valentine's Day. So that's tight. Um, yeah. I never anything else. Uh, I hope everybody have a blessed week, and uh, we'll see you next time on the 62nd episode, right? <laughs>
Yeah, man, you're low energy today, man. You, uh, I'm just cool. I'm laid back, man. I love your contribution, though. Yeah. Well, we didn't have no Four Locos today, so I think that might I don't be. drink Four Locos, so stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> that's you. <laughs> don't put that on me. Yeah, it's MD 2020 for the 2000s. I'm good. Jesus Christ. Yeah. All right, man. Well, look, this has been episode <laughs> 61 of the Reshow. David, thank you so much, sir, for coming you through. I appreciate thank you, you, man. Thank you, man. Yeah, yes, sir. Out. All right, man. So we're going to go get top from outside.